So turn to Matthew chapter 11, if you have your Bibles with you. We are finishing a series we've called A Right Perspective. We've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes over the last few weeks. Matthew is not Ecclesiastes. And I want to speak out of this passage today because really what we're seeing from Jesus here is his response to the futility, the vanity, the meaninglessness of life under the sun without acknowledging God that Ecclesiastes has been dealing with. And it's a wonderful passage of scripture that has so much to say to us, so much to comfort us, so much to give us hope. So however you've come today, and whatever you would, however you'd consider the condition of your heart to be today, there is a direct invitation from Jesus to you to draw near to him, and as you do so, to find miraculous rest for your soul. Now that sounds good to me. Why don't we read together? So Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 to 30. Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 to 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because of this, because this was your good pleasure, all things have been entrusted to me by my Father, No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's hear those words of Jesus again. Come to me. Come to me. All you who are weary, come to me. All you who are burdened, come to me. I will give you rest. Come to me. Hear those words. Hear them. Jesus says to you today, Jesus says to you today, listen, Jesus says to you today, come to me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, We thank you for who he is, and we thank you for his words. We thank you for these words, these words that were heard first over 2,000 years ago, but words which have been heard in every year since. We thank you that for many of us, we can say today, I have a soul at rest in Christ. 
And I know, Lord, there are people here today who cannot say that. And so, Lord, I pray especially for them, would they hear the invitation issued to them this morning to come to you and to find in you miraculous, supernatural, essential, vital rest that's eternal, that we all so desperately need. I pray, Heavenly Father, may we learn from your Son today, and may he be glorified among us in Jesus' name. Amen. Famous passage, wonderful passage of Scripture, life-giving, and uh, with one of the greatest invitations to be found in the whole Bible. And it's, uh, it's an invitation which we all need, and some of us will desperately know that need today, that need for rest. And it's a captivating idea, and it's a wonderful thing to consider, and we're going to explore together what is the nature of this rest that Jesus is inviting us to. How do we get hold of it? How do we live in it? How do we enjoy it? So we're going to be considering three things from this passage. Firstly, we're going to consider this necessity in receiving rest. We must come to Jesus. Firstly, we must come to Jesus. Secondly, that, that this rest that Jesus is inviting us to, we learn about it from him. We learn rest from Jesus. And then thirdly, true rest is to become like Jesus, which is where we're going, to become like Jesus. Hallelujah. With the type of life that many are living that has been drawn out in Ecclesiastes that we've been thinking about, a life of labor, a life of accumulating, a life of working, of earning, of spending, a life of acquiring, of loving, a life of hurting, a life of losing, a life of death. The rhythms of life which we all participate in, which one generation has and then the other generation has and the author of Ecclesiastes says it's just futile. What's the point of this life when we go through these motions over and over again? What's it all about? Maybe you know the wearisomeness of life, the, the overwhelmingness of life, the heaviness of it. And then this booming voice which is heard in this passage the voice of Jesus that speaks over it all and says to you today, come, come to me. It's like the voice of Jesus ascending over the book of Ecclesiastes and over the book of Ecclesiastes and all of the meaninglessness that's addressed there. And Jesus speaks over it. And Jesus' voice is heard saying, you've got to come to me, people. You've got to come to me. You're weary. You're tired, you're heavy laden, you're feeling the sense of emptiness of it all, come to me. And yet so many reject that invitation, so many refuse to accept it. And you think, why would you refuse this invitation? I don't, why would you reject it? The same happened as Jesus was on the earth in his Three years of active earthly ministry. People ran to him. People ran from him. People loved him. People hated him. People found their lives transformed by him. People found they were embittered by him. People were healed by him. 
People mocked him. People fell at his feet. People threw things at him. People bowed before him, washed his feet, anointed him with perfume. Some people hammered nails through his hands and his feet. Some people shoved the crown of thorns upon his head. Some people wept as they saw him crucified. Some people laughed. How do you see Jesus? Now this passage which we are looking at today comes on the back of a challenge which Jesus brings. So at the beginning of the passage we read, verse 25, Jesus says, at this time, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and revealed them to infants. So you have to think, well, at what time, which means you've got to look back at what's just been said. And he, in the previous section of scripture, is rebuking those who have rejected him. He's saying, you've seen my miracles. You've seen the power of God displayed in emphatic ways, and yet you still refuse to believe. And Jesus uses this image here, which I've never really thought about until the last couple of days. And I want to draw it out a little bit, because I, I think it's powerful. Verse 16 of Matthew 11. To what should I compare this generation It's like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to other children. We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. Think about it. He's saying, this generation that's rejecting him, this generation that's refusing to believe in him, seeing the miracles, hearing his teaching, and rejecting, he said, do you know what? You're like children calling out to other children, saying, we played the flute but you didn't dance. It's a funny metaphor for Jesus to use, isn't it? I want you to think about it like this. I want you in your mind's eye right now just to imagine this scene with me. I want you to imagine a child with a recorder, right? Imagine that child with a recorder. They're not very accomplished. They're tooting away. They're making a racket. And as they're tooting tooting away on their recorder, I want you to imagine a little old man walks over and begins to dance a jig to the sound of the child on the recorder. He begins to dance. That's it. That's what Jesus is talking about. What are you talking about, Tim? (laughs) What's it? That kind of condescension, that kind of humility, what moves the old man to dance to the tune of the child with the recorder? What's happening in his heart? One commentator said this, to be a follower of Christ is to learn to dance when children play the flute. To be a follower of Christ is to learn to dance when children play the flute. Now let's just draw this out a little bit more. I was the guy at weddings who never danced. So the, the wedding reception's happening, I was the guy, uh, Lizzie will vouch for this, I was the guy on, leaning on the back of the wall, arms crossed, watching as everyone else 
danced. I am an abysmal dancer. Absolutely abysmal. I can't dance. I refuse to dance. I will not dance. And my friends would go over and they'd pull me. You will dance. We will get you to dance. I'm not dancing. I refuse to dance. And the problem is I married a dancer <laughs> who will dance at every single wedding. Now I have a decision to make. So I'm not going to let some other schmuck dance with my wife. <laughs> so I now have to dance. And I am like Quasimodo on the dance floor. I'm like, I haven't got a clue what I'm doing, but I know I have to dance. So, so and I've learned to love it. <laughs> I, zero talent, right? A lot of effort <laughs> and two left feet, but I begin to dance. I begin to dance at the wedding. Jesus says this in verse 25, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent, and you've revealed them to infants. To be a follower of Christ is to learn to dance when children play the flute. Is it any great wonder that so many people come to put their faith in Jesus at a young age? Is it a great surprise that before my intelligence, my wisdom, my success, my power, my wealth has been accumulated, before that point people come to faith so often? And how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And how many people, as it were, arms crossed, leaning back, watching the dance happen. And then you have that picture of the elderly man dancing along to the child playing the flute. What's Jesus saying here? What is the challenge that Jesus is making? It's not terribly difficult. You've got to become like a child to enter this kingdom. Tim Keller said, the only thing that we need is need. But not many of us have it. You've got to come like a child, vulnerably. What is, how do I get this rest? I've got to come to Jesus, but I've got to come to Jesus like a child. I've got to show the humility. You, you see, what's putting people off from getting into the dance floor? Pride. What will people think of me? I'm an embarrassment when I start to dance. I shouldn't do it. But what a compelling image it is of the old man dancing around happily with the child. And I can tell you how much more I enjoy weddings now that I have someone to dance with. He doesn't really care what I look like. Jesus is using this metaphor because the thing that prevents so many of us from enjoying the rest Jesus invites us to is our own stubbornness and pride. And God's grace, which we've been singing about, amazing grace, is this free gift which you cannot earn, that you don't deserve, but which is abundantly on offer. Why would you refuse this gift?
Come to me, Jesus says. Come to Jesus. Don't stand on the side and watch. Join in the dance. Some have spoken of the nature of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit having eternally existed in this beautiful, loving, intimate relationship as being like a dance. The joy, the love, the freedom, the oneness, the movement in, in God. I'm not going to require us all to dance at the end of this sermon because I know some of you are really worrying about that. What's going to be the application here? <laughs> Feel free, Richard. Feel free. Okay. Next. To rest is to learn from Jesus. And I want to just look at verse 29 to 30. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now look at what he says at the beginning of verse 27. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. So what does he mean by all things? He means all things. Everything. All that's been created. Everything that has been created was made through him and for him. The whole universe, Jesus made. Jesus sustains. And yet his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Jesus is responsible for holding the forces of the universe in tension. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. And through him to reconcile all things to himself through the blood of his cross. And yet, his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. If anyone ever came up to Jesus and said to him, how are you doing today, Jesus? I can guarantee you that he never once said, do you know what, to be honest, I'm feeling really stressed right now. Can you just give me some space? (laughs) I can almost pretty much guarantee you that Jesus never said, I'm really, really busy. So busy, so, so busy. In fact, what we know is that Jesus loved to be interrupted from his busy schedule. Even as a girl was dying, he's interrupted on the journey to heal her by somebody else who needed him. And Jesus didn't say, go away, I'm about something far more important. In the moment, he healed the woman who had the issue of blood. And he's told that the girl has died. He says, don't worry. Raises her up too. So we need to learn from Jesus whose yoke is easy, and whose burden is light. I want to learn from you, Lord. When you're feeling overwhelmed, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I reckon a significant chunk of the congregation arrived today feeling overwhelmed. Feeling like, do you know what? Life, 
the responsibilities on me right now, the expectations right now, they're huge. I'm not sure I'm, I'm not sure I can handle this. The intensity of it all. What are the pressures you're facing? Do you, what's the, what's the heartache? What, what's causing the anxiety? I know there are many people feeling like that today. And Jesus speaks up over the noise of your life today, speaks up over the noise and he says to you, come to me. Come to me. Learn from me. Watch me. Observe me. Listen to me. Jeremiah 6 verse 16. This is what the Lord says. Stand by the roadways and look. Ask about the ancient paths. Which is the way to what is good? Then take it and find rest from yourselves. Stand by the roadways. Look. Survey the ancient paths. And ask which way is good. And then find rest from yourselves. Which is the good way? Jesus made this explicit. He said, I am the way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What does this rest look like? What is it? What is the nature of it? What is the nature of this rest? Verse 27. No one knows the Son except the Father And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him, after which he immediately says, come to me. So what is the nature of this rest? I mean, it isn't just an epic lion, right? As lovely as that might sound. What is the nature of this rest for our souls that we so desperately need? This rest that I so desperately need is found by coming to Jesus in order that Jesus might reveal to us his Father. And that is the goal of the gospel is for you and for me to know that God the Creator is God the Father. So that your highest privilege is that when you pray, you might say, Abba, Father, just as Jesus did. Just as Jesus did. You get the privilege to call God Abba, Father. Jesus has come to reveal the Father to us. How incredible this is. And even though Jesus had the cross before him, looming before him, even though Jesus was in the garden overwhelmed by the immensity of his suffering, he prays for his disciples. O righteous Father, he says, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them 
and I in them. Even in your suffering, even in your dark place, you can know miraculous rest. Do you know that? Even when everything else seems to be stripped back, you can know the light of the love of your heavenly Father shining brightly upon you. That's true, miraculous rest. And as a Christian, let me tell you, it's so wonderful. I love that I'm not searching for answers to the biggest questions of life. I love that I'm not scratching my head wondering why I'm here. I know, I know even when I mess up and when I sin, I've got a father who's beckoning me to come. I know that there's a throne of grace that I can approach with confidence in my time of need. And I know that I approach one who knows my need better than I know it myself. And he's always receiving me. I love being a Christian. I love this privilege. I love that I can pray to my Father in heaven. Do you enjoy that privilege? Do you live in that privilege? Do you feel the greatness of it? And here's how Jesus describes himself. This is the only passage in the Bible where Jesus describes his heart. And this is what he has to say. Verse 29, I am lowly and humble in heart. I am lowly or gentle. I am gentle. I am kind and humble in heart. We don't have many examples of great leaders in the world today. We don't have many examples of those who use authority well. But the greatest king and the greatest leader who has ever lived doesn't come today to impose upon you his power and his strength in an intimidating way. He says to you, I want you to know something about my heart today. It's kind. I want you to know something about my heart today. It's gentle. I want you to know something about my heart today. It's lowly. He could have come in all kinds of ways. The Jews were expecting this king to come with force and power to overthrow the Romans. And yet Jesus came in such humility into a world that was full of abuses of authority and power, a world like ours. Isn't Jesus wonderful? And isn't he just beautiful and attractive? And don't you just want to be like him? Don't you want to imitate him and follow in his example? I tell you, I do want to be like Jesus with all my heart. And I'm so grateful that his work that has begun in me, he completes. I'm so grateful that one day I will be perfectly like him. But we have right now the opportunity to come to him. In the next chapter, chapter 12, verse 20, it says this. He will not break a bruised reed, and he will not put out a smoldering wick. Do you feel like a bruised reed? I, I feel pretty lame. 
Do you feel like a smoldering wick? I was once so on fire, but now I feel like my faith is, is like an ember. The good news is he will not snuff you out. He will not break the reed. He will blow on the ember and he will rekindle the fire and he will stoke it up so that it burns, burns fiery and hot again. Do you want that? Do you want that? Do you want that? Come to Jesus. Learn from him. He's humble and lowly in heart. So in conclusion, true rest is to become like Jesus. No one, despite his suffering and despite the trials, no one has ever walked the earth with the same kind of restfulness as Jesus did. You think of him in the boat during the storm even, the waves crashing against the boat, the disciples freaking out in fear, and Jesus asleep, resting in his body, showing what's true of him in his soul and in his spirit. What a picture of rest that is. Where does that rest come from? It comes from enjoying perfect, unspoilt relationship with his father. It comes from knowing that Jesus didn't have to prove himself to anyone or anybody because he knew he was absolutely loved by his father. What is it that's causing you restlessness? What is it or to whom are you yoked this morning? What are you yoked to? What are you attached to? What is, what is it that keeps you up at night? What are you yoked to? Is it your career? Are you yoked to success and ambition? Mother's Day. As parents, are we yoked to our children? And how they're doing emotionally? What are we yoked to? What are we joined to today? To whom are you yoked on a Monday morning when you walk into the office? To whom are you yoked? You see, the image of a yoke is being joined side by side with another. And this one whose yoke is easy says, you're joined to me. But it's not a static picture. It's movement. It's walking. So as Christians, we are walking with Jesus. You see that imagery and that language used a lot. We walk in step with the Spirit. We walk with Christ. He does life with us. We walk with Jesus. We're yoked to him. So it's not like he's saying, I don't want you to care about those things I've just mentioned. Of course he wants you to care about your kids. Of course he wants you to be good stewards of your wealth and of your influence and of your learning and of your career. He doesn't want you to be yoked to that. See, the thing is, when you're yoked to those things, they become a burden you cannot carry. And you feel overwhelmed by the weight of it. And it begins to suffocate you. And Jesus is saying, when you're yoked to me, 
you walk with a light step. And that's what he wants for us today. To walk with a light step, to know his rest, to be willing to get up and join the dance. I want to just read a couple of passages very quickly in conclusion, which are a great picture of this. The first comes from 2 Samuel, chapter 6. This is the return of the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God into Jerusalem. This is what we read. David was dancing with all his might before the Lord, wearing a linen ephod. He and the whole house of Israel were bringing up the Ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of the ram's horn. And the Ark of the Lord was entering the city of David. Saul's daughter, Michal, looked down from the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord and she despised him in her heart. Just as the crowd did before Jesus. Who is the Lord of the dance? Jesus is the Lord of the dance, the one that David points us to. And then this, the end of the the parable of the prodigal sons. Now his oldest son was in the field and as he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many years for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So here's the challenge, guys. You're dancing or you're on the edges, grumpy. Where are you today? Where are you? There might be very legitimate reasons why you're feeling incapable of dancing. There might be legitimate, there might be genuine challenge and pain. But I want to say to you, the heart of God towards you is that you would dance in your heart is that your feet would be light, is that you would be able to know, even in the challenge of this day, a reason to sing, a reason to celebrate, and a reason to dance. I don't want anyone to be looking in. We're all invited to come. Hallelujah. We're invited to come to Jesus today. I'm going to ask the band to come. Why don't we stand? The gospel really is, if you like, the music of heaven. The good news that Jesus has conquered sin. The good news that Jesus has risen from the grave. 
the good news that Jesus is alive today, and the good news that Jesus is issuing the invitation to come and find rest to millions around this planet as we speak. And the invitation is issued here in this room today as well. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Learn from me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come and find rest for your souls. Father in heaven, we praise you for this wonderful, wonderful invitation that's come to us today. It requires humility, Lord. It requires an acknowledgement of our utter need. Lord, I pray, let us not put our fingers in our ears as the tune is played on the flute. In our hearts, give us a willingness to dance. And as we dance, as it were, we find rest. We find contentment. We find peace. We find our souls have been stilled and quieted by streams of living water, by green pastures. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this, and we love you. Amen.